0: Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, a podcast guide through the UK video game shows that aired in the aftermath of GamesMaster. I am one of your hosts, Lou Cohen, juggling eels while standing on ball bearings. And strong like a man should be. I am Ash Versus. This episode of GamePad, we think, aired on the 18th of November 2002. And if it did, Grand Theft Auto Vice City topped the video game charts, Westlife topped the pops with Unbreakable, and I cannot quite believe this. But Harry Potter is top of the box office again, this time with a Chamber of Secrets. Oh,
1: mate, can we go back
0: to the 90s? This is awful. Yeah, I just and it's a case of... So we, we, we're pretty confident that this episode did indeed air 18th of November, 2003. More on that later. If it did, that is what Chamber of Secrets is top of the box office. If it was a week earlier, it's a different film. If it's a week later, it's a different film.
1: We could have had 28 days later... Or Die Another Day. Now, I know we talked about this off mic and it was like you were like, oh, I've said everything I've got to say about Die Another Day. But you know what? We could have probably got some extra length out of it. 28 Days Later, amazing film. Reinvented the zombie genre. It's like that period is when the
0: zombie genre became big bucks again. Like, it's, it's movies like that and Shaun of the Dead that really is kind of what leads to me making my low-budget zombie movie in 2007, because they were like those from 2003 until around that sort of time, maybe a couple of years later, zombie movies were everywhere. And I know because also I was reviewing movies at that time and I was being sent like three a week that were like straight to DVD, straight to video, zombie flicks.
1: I just want to touch on the date thing again because this episode, we know series three of Gamepad or Gamepad three started on the 18th of November. We have empirical time-relevant data about that. Yeah, there's this
0: Eurogamer article from the 15th of November, 2002, that says, Gaming makes a longer way to return to our TV screens next week with a third series of Violet Berlin's gamepad set to air on Bravo every weekday for a month-long stint. The 20 half-hour shows are to run at 4.30pm and 7.30pm on The Men's Channel from November 18th and apparently has a, quote, fresh look thanks to a cool set redesign by our old mugger Gaz Top, sorry, Gareth Jones. I'll read a little bit more of that Eurogamer article in a little bit because, Craig, you thought
1: the Edge article was a bit sniffy last week. Where do you hear what else they've got to say about this show. We know it's a month-long period, we, so we know it's definitely 2002. The end credits also back that up. What makes it very difficult to place specifically is most all of the games they talk about are either released from September or before. I think like the earliest game we've got on display in this episode is from like February or March of two thousand two.
0: Yeah, and like the two games you know, like Terminator, we get reviewed is released in October o two.
1: And of the games that are featured in the future, well. One of them never gets there. And the other is actually so far in the future that I thought this was a 2003 episode. It's a game that doesn't drop until February or March of next year, but all we're seeing is video footage. So, of course, could be some E3 demo tape, could just be an EPK that's being sent out, because it was a game that they were going to push. But if it's not the 18th of November, pick 30 days after the 18th of November, it's going to be one of them. And so the reason why we think... This is the 18th of November
0: uh, edition, is because the the YouTube link, the the YouTube upload of this says this is Series Three, Episode One. But as we saw with Thumb Bandits last week, for all we know, it's actually Episode Twenty. We are just judging this by what we, the information we got in front of us, and unlike Bits and Thumb Bandits, Gamepad
1: is not documented well online. I mean, we struggled a little bit. With bits and thumb bandits. It was a bloody Encyclopedia Britannica compared to Gamepad. I mean, with the episode that we used, we couldn't even look at any, say, bits of commercials that were around it or any bits from the tape before and afterwards. Because this is not Gamepad from its original broadcast. This is Gamepad as repeated on Virgin 1 in 2009 to 2010. And Virgin 1 was FTN? I think, was the channel it was named before? And it was all kind of part of the Bravo family. So that's how it ended. And the only reason I know it was 2009 to 2010 is because the specific logo up in the corner was there for a year. And then it was gone and it changed to something else. So this is a repeat. The person who loaded it as well did load
0: this 13 years ago. And you can tell that it's 13 years ago, A, because obviously YouTube tells you this was uploaded 13 years ago. But also... It has to be uploaded in 10-minute chunks because that was when YouTube had a 10-minute upload limit. And I remember that very vividly because after I'd done my zombie movie, I then did a a Twilight Zone-esque inspired series a a couple of years later. It's funny, enough actually how I met my wife. And those were half-hour episodes that we made and we had to upload them to YouTube in three separate 10-minute videos. So this upload here is one 10-minute video, one 10-minute video, and one three-minute video for what is effectively
1: just the end credits. Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, it was a channel called FTN, and it existed on Freeview to advertise more paid content channels. So it featured stuff from uh, Living, Bravo, Trouble TV, and just kind of one of my favourite channels that's still out there today, Challenge TV. you love a bit of Challenge. Got a lot of history with Challenge. Yeah, love, love a bit of Challenge, love a bit of Bully. Literally, if we ever need background noise to fall asleep to of a night, challenge, bullseye, sorted. Maybe they'll win the caravan, maybe they won't. And uh, yeah, then it was purchased by Virgin, rebranded, and then was eventually purchased by Sky, who also rebranded it and then closed it on the 1st of February 2011. So this this channel got passed around quite a bit over the space of two or three years.
0: Also, hilariously, when we were trying to work out the date that this aired i went to violet berlin's own website thinking maybe violet will be able to tell us according to violet's website she wrote this series in 2003 that is factually incorrect because the title the the end card of this says this aired in 2002 so we think yeah we think that's kind of the period of time this aired from i've got a, a few other bits of tv notes before we kind of get into the world of gamepad I tried to kind of pick bits of notes that are relevant to either previous guests that we've had on Gamesmaster or just really cultural events within TV. So I picked this one out on the 30th of October. Have I Got News For You presenter Angus Deaton is sacked after allegations regarding his personal life appeared in the media. Since his departure of the show has been hosted by a different guest presenter each week, a format that continues to this day.
1: I mean, we say allegations regarding his personal life. It was... Coke and hookers, basically. Yeah, he had his one week where he came back and they made a lot of fun of it, and then off he went. Good evening and welcome to Have I Got News For You, where this week's loser is presenting it. (laughs) I I think this is a thing about um, party funding.
0: This Mm. has been one story of the week, isn't it? But the one I'm really interested in, Angus, (laughs) (laughs) is... Now, you and this prostitute... (laughs) How did you manage to, to get off paying her? Uh, she didn't tell
1: me that she. Was
0: she didn't tell you. No. But you must have paid her for the article. I mean, I don't want to dwell on this, but um...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he made me groan all night. <laughs> yeah, but what are you doing? Reading the autograph? <laughs> This was the best lover I've ever had, and you didn't pay her.
1: <laughs> this, uh, this is just <clears throat> unbelievable. We we could have kept going till breakfast. <laughs> what are you doing? Talking about
0: football. <laughs> uh, you did describe yourself as a model of New Labour conformity.
1: Really? Mm. Oh, what was I on at the time? <laughs>
2: <laughs> English consultant. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I remember this entire period because. I was a regular viewer of, have I got news for you? I got the videotapes, the official pirate video. Uh, Have I got a bit more news for you? All that stuff. And suddenly there was Angus on the front page of all the newspapers for reasons that weren't to do with his television presenting career. And I remember when they started to do the guest presenters and there was always that question of, oh, who's going to be the main host for the next series? And then the next series arrived and they continued to do guest presenters. And as you say, it carries on to this day. And they've done that for a couple of different shows over time. They did it for a period of time with uh, Buzzcocks, never mind the Buzzcocks. But I think with Have I Got News For You, it really highlighted how, at least in the mind of the producers, how little the show actually was about Angus. It was about Hislop and it was about Merton. They were the only constants required at that point. They were just the ones that needed to be there because they were getting the majority of the laughs. They were getting the majority of the political barbs. The host was just there to help them link segments together.
0: And to read the teleprompter that's in front of them.
1: Yeah, sometimes very,
0: very badly. On the 2nd of November, Channel 4 celebrated its 20th anniversary. So well done to Channel 4 there. Uh, And then sadly, on the 8th of November, Lockkeeper's Cottage, the building used for the Big Breakfast, is destroyed by fire eight months after the show was axed.
1: Oh, Gabby Roslin took that
0: bad, didn't she? <laughs> uh, and lastly, from a bit of TV news here, 14th of November, one of my favourite TV shows ever, Harry Hill's TV burp begins on ITV1.
1: I am a huge fan of Harry Hill. I don't know why. I just never quite got on with TV Burp. It just it. I watched it occasionally, but it was not for me appointment viewing. It wasn't something that I went out of my way to watch. But his stand up career, uh, his Channel Four show, uh, the Fruit Corner on the radio, and even now, like he fairly recently made a guest appearance on um, Eight Out of Ten Cats Does Countdown, which is one of my. Like I just think they should get rid of regular Countdown and just stick with Cats Does Countdown. It's way funnier because they put swear words in the conundrum. I just still love him now. But then I'm just like, "Eh, TV burp. I get what it is. And on concept, it's funny. But I think maybe the issue is, is I'm not watching or wasn't watching enough regular television Mm. to actually get it.
0: Yeah, I was watching a lot of TV at this point in my life. uh, And like Harry Hill's TV burp. Yeah, it was something me and my friends were like, that was appointment television for us, if the new TV burp was on, recorded as well, and we could all watch it together the following week or the following day, whatever it was.
1: But, you know, you loved Harry Hill's TV burp. I didn't. There's only (laughs) one way to sort this out, Luke.
0: (laughs) So I I did a little bit of, you know, looking around for, you know, what had been written about...
1: gamepad at the time funny enough as well i keep calling it joypad they won't have heard this but i've called it joypad gamepad bits and thumb it's all in the first 15 minutes of this record
0: and i think part of the reason for that is i never watched this show
1: uh i didn't have
0: virgin or sky or anything like that so i didn't have access to bravo And uh, know you know unless i went around to a friend's house and i could have watched it uh there doing this podcast is the first time i have watched gamepads And I watched a couple of episodes that have been sort of loaded up online here and there, just to kind of get a bit of a feel for the show. But this is my first experience of watching the show.
1: Particularly when this series was broadcast, I did not have Bravo. But I'm fairly certain I have seen episodes elsewhere in the four series run. Either on original broadcast, or I might have actually caught some of the repeats on Virgin One. It is a... It is an interesting show, and I think maybe this is why it has been repeated more than some of the other shows we've talked about, in that other than the games featured, there isn't a huge amount about this show that dates it. There isn't really much in the way of jokes. There isn't much in the way of celebrities. You know, you pick a random episode of Games Master Series 2, and it's like, ooh, There's jokes about joysticks, John Major, and look, there's one of the Gladiators. You remember the Gladiators? They were on TV in the 90s. This is, at least with this episode, is Violet Berlin in a white void with minimal furniture, doing little bits of Link to Camera, and then a man tells a story about how his dog killed a rabbit.
0: Yeah, I I mean, when uh, Challenge aired the first series of Games Master, and the reason why they didn't do any more, they, they sort of revealed through their own forums, is because... The games looked too dated when we were showing this in the early 2000s, and therefore we thought that it just sort of, it, the show didn't look very, very good because the games that were featured on it looked old. And I think where, you know, the, the jump between the PS2 and the PS3, while there is a jump there, is probably not as noticeable than it would have been from, well, you know, looking at Games Master, Series 2 to Series 6, you know, that jump from the Super Nintendo to the PlayStation was a noticeable jump. I don't think there was as much of a jump. But yeah, maybe you're right. It's like it's just a case of it's not hugely dated. Also, it's it's quite easy TV to just repeat. It's it's a good half hour filler. I I think my sort of overall thoughts on the show are: it's quite the change of pace from Bits and Thumb Bandits. Here we are, not one year removed from the end of Thumb Bandits, and this is a complete one eighty show from the sort of anarchic feel that Bits and Thumb Bandits had. This is a much more gentle show. I would use the word dry. I think it's quite a dry show. And when I was, when I did watch a few episodes of it, but I think if I was watching this in context, given the extent of the age that I was as well, I don't think there's a lot that would make me want to watch every episode other than just seeing some more games. What it did actually make me appreciate was the format of Games Master.
1: And actually, that's really what the strong selling point of Games Master was. This show does not really compare to Games Master in format or structure. And I was sat there going, what is this show? Like, where else do you see this kind of show? And the best thing I could come up with was movies, 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 slash movies, games and videos in that you have a host there that is there to present a bunch of different bits of footage in the EPKs. And the main difference I would guess is voiceover dude for movies, games and videos was voiceover dude for movies, games and videos. He just read what was on the script. With this, we have the advantage that Violet Berlin is writing her own script in one year or another. I mean, we've got Terminator later, Luke. Time travel is possible. But she's also passionate about video games. She does like and love video games. So... While I don't think all of the jokes necessarily land, she is doing this from a position of some knowledge and authority, rather than going, I'm reading this because that's what the writer's made for me. She is also clearly having a good time. Like Her passion and infectious
0: nature, I think, is really what carries gamepad. Like, she does giggle while reading out some of the lines that she's been given, some of the sort of concepts within, like, when she's talking about Marvel versus Capcom 2, she finds the whole thing very silly and very perplexing, and is just having fun talking about it. You know, you maybe, like, uh, a 2D fighter being released in 2003, a Games Master panel would have been like, uh, a 2D fighter released here? No, it's Tekken, it should be 3D, and I say that. I and mean, quite negative. About it. Violet Blitz is like, have you seen the mad colours on show? It's very, very silly, and it's quite bonkers. And I think that's what I enjoyed about this was actually was Violet's, and also this is her project. This is her and her partners. I mean, it's their company, but it's their project. They are doing everything. Gareth is directing. She is writing. She is hosting. They're working together, and that's that's a nice thing. And I and it's it's actually almost it, it's and I use this as a as a. Glowing term, as opposed to what it might sound like as a damning term, its homemade
1: nature is it is actually quite endearing. There is a lot here that could be actually compared to some of the stuff that IGN puts out. And that's not meant as a negative, despite, depending on when you listen to this, what IGN may or may not no longer be doing. You could take this episode and split it up into two, three-minute chunks. And each of those chunks could be a video uploaded every day. Yes, exactly. It's that kind of bite-sized content. To the point where I did actually wonder when we were watching this episode, are we 100% certain that all these segments are from one episode? (laughs) Did the Command and Conquer bit? come from an episode that's later on and just get spliced in it's not beyond the realm of possibility
0: it's not i mean a lot of this actually reminds me a little bit of video game nation which is a show that we are going to be covering at some point in, in our journey here in the aftermath of games master which is just here are some presenters doing some links throwing to video footage with some voiceover but it's made very much on a shoestring budget and i i do quite i like a lot of that because that's the kind of content that i'm now currently making as part of my job is the sort of show like the tv station approached us to make a tv show we would be sending something back that didn't look t- nothing too dissimilar from what this is.
1: Just might get a bit of pancake makeup in and, you know, a- absolutely some, yeah. some guy
0: liner. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe put someone who's actually attractive on, on screen and they can just, they'll they'll just read the copy that I give them. I mean,
1: actually, that's lower pressure for you. <laughs> well, the copy's got
0: to be good. Maybe they can just rewrite that bit. Then I just get all the glory. I did a little bit of reading around. And as I said, I found this, this Eurogamer article uh, about this series and I, I get the feeling that the, this Eurogamer writer is not a not a fan. They write here: the show promises to cover quote all of the key releases on all major game systems end quote with previews of next year's biggies also lined up, as well as interviews with designers. Presumably, they mean developers from Britain, the USA, and get this, all over Europe. But the thing that has us all excited is the prospect of the Crash Course whereby a number of our journalist peers pass on their sage-like wisdom to the salivating public. We fully expect our forums to be alive with bile about this one. That's not all. Gamepad's, quote, trademark, end quote, charts will be back. Huh. They've trademarked the charts, have they? How dare they? Plus a 30-second review snapshot during, quote, games you wouldn't normally expect on television, end quote, we await with bated breath a review of Sam Fox's strip poker. Finally, the Game On feature is back in a slot where you quote, don't have to be a gamer, so go on. Amusing possibilities, we're sure.
1: Yes, was that written by Hugo,
0: Luke? It it does feel like Hugo uh, did write that one, and he then chortled uh, to Hugo afterward to be like, have you seen this pithy thing I've written about this press release about Violet Berlin's gamepad? <laughs>
1: have a snifter of brandy. <laughs> <laughs> I will pick them up on something. Now, keep in mind, I actually don't know if the term was being used in 15th of November 2002 game designer is absolutely a job and a role if you don't know what a game designer is like it it's a whole thing go google it but really <laughs> game designers are a thing
0: yeah hugo hugo you prick uh, i've got this little interview uh excerpt here from violet berlin she did an interview with arcade attack
1: press f to pay respects to arcade attack wrapping up their run shortly
0: oh that's a shame and she kind of just talked about it's like the the genesis of the show and sort of, you know, what it was they were making. She says here, my computer games technology and science shows for ITV had been aimed at children and young people, but Bravo aimed at an older audience. So yes, it had to be more mature. We just aimed it at people like us who wanted to know about the latest games. My first involvement with the channel was presenting a re-version show for GameSpot TV, but then Bravo asked me to present their own show in-house, and afterwards asked my company to make the next two series. Once again, a fantastic opportunity to get paid to play games and talk about them. I had two babies at the time, so it was hard work fitting everything, but I simply couldn't turn it down. This other interview I got from 80s Nostalgia, who quite cutely interview violet and gareth at the same time i love that i am
1: very happy with that i love me some gaz top it's
0: really cute as well because a lot of it's like talking to violet about bad influence and talking to gaz top about how to But, you know, the topic of this comes up because they worked on it together. Uh, the, The person asks, although you presented the programs, how much of the background work do you also do? And Violet says, we both contribute behind the scenes to most of the shows we're involved in. The extent depends on the shows. As far as GamePad goes, I wrote all of the episodes of all the series. Although I do have a reviewing team as backup, as it would be impossible for any individual to play that many games properly every week. And then... Uh, they ask Gareth about sort of how long it takes to record this. So we're getting a little bit of background information about how this show is put together. And Gareth says, it's difficult to say as it varies from program to program. For How To, we record a program and half a day. Each show is about 17 minutes long. For Gamepad, we record the links, Violet Studio Bits, for seven programs in a day. But all of the other stuff, the reviews, the crash courses, interviews and features take a lot more time. Basically, we make 20 programs over six months. So Violet's Links... I know, granted, they're pretty short, but yeah, they were filming seven episodes a day
1: in studio. I suppose there are quite a few bits where Violet is just VO. Yeah. And you can go into a booth and do VO way cheaper than you can spend a day in studio. You know this. Why am I telling you? Well, that's what all
0: the gamesmaster news was. The reason why Dominic's not on screen is because, A, it's cheaper to do it that way. B, you can do it at a much shorter pace of time. To make sure the news is very accurate for when the
1: show was going out, which was very important to Dom in those later series. See, the recording booth they often used was in Soho. Drinks are plenty.
0: So yeah, so I thought it was quite you know, that's kind of a bit of a overview of the the show itself and, and kind of how it all came together. It's not quite as involved as, you know, thumb bandits or bits or, or something along those lines, but this got you know, it had its run. It had four series or so, and as you mentioned earlier, got repeated several times over so i think there is a bit of a legacy to, to gamepad it's just not one that
1: i'm particularly familiar with i mean we had four series of this if each of these series ran for four weeks monday to friday that means each series was 20 episodes long so this still ran for 80 episodes overall It would also in a
0: games world way probably explains as well why there's not full runs of this
1: available on youtube Also, not on a free channel.
2: Hello, I'm Violet Berlin, and you're watching Gamepad, more popular than eggs. Coming up in today's show Earth's mightiest superheroes take on some of Earth's mightiest games characters. As we stage our very own celebrity deathmatch, 50 stars all converge to have a fight. Marvellous. Enough said. Hello, I'm Gigi, the iRace Stable Girl and one of our team of presenters. Plus posh CG totty and going to the Gigi's as we open up a book on our top three horse racing sims.
0: So here's what we've got coming up on today's show, Ash. Obviously, it's a show that's more
1: popular than eggs. Whoa, 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 whoa. Dizzy is right there. Oh, Major Dizzy. star of computing. Dizzy's not had a game for a while, Ash. I don't know. Have you told the Oliver twins that? <laughs> They're still pumping them out now.
0: <laughs> but yeah, Violet makes the bold claim that it's more popular than X and tells us that we've got, you know, a, a review of Marvel vs. Capcom 2. And I actually did get slightly confused in this as well because she says we're going to have our own celebrity death match. And I was like, oh, cool. They're going to have two celebrities playing this game. That's a fun little concept. No, what she means is it is a death match between characters from capcom and characters from marvel
1: i mean they're definitely celebrities that is very true
0: and i mean ash i mean if you're wondering oh is that going to keep me around how about the cg totty as they count down the top three horse racing <laughs>
1: <Sims>? <laughs> i never thought i'd miss final furlong and
0: yet here we are at least there was something
1: to say about final furlong I've actually amazingly got something to say about the top three horse racing sims. I had to dig, oh, but yeah. I found something. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a, digging had to be done for those games. And finally, we're going to have a review of the prequel to the Terminator movies because you knew he'd be back.
1: Yes, this will be the um, the first bad attempt at doing a prequel to Terminator, but certainly not the last. You know, that is a fairly solid little lineup there.
0: And, I mean, this really is just a... I mean, I think this podcast is going to go... It is a recap, obviously, and we are going to go through this segment by segment. But this is what I was saying earlier about how I really appreciate Games Master as a format. And and kind of watching Bits and Thumb Bandits and this has just made me appreciate how good of a show... Games Master was because it was like, here's a challenge, here's a news, here's that challenge, here's some reviews, here's the celebrity challenge, here's a feature. It's always something a bit different, but with Thumb Bandits and bits, and particularly with GamePad, it is just, here's a game, here's a game, here's a game, here's a game, here's a game. That's more or less what this podcast is going to end up being as well, which is just that we get previews of this game, then we get a review of this game, then we get a preview of this game, and then there's a preview of this game and then we'll get this thing here. Really, the only segment that's different, Bucky O'Hare is, is the crash course that you get later on, which is almost a consultation
1: zone of sorts. So really what you're saying is we're doing all the heavy lifting on this episode?
0: I feel like we are, Ash. I I used the word dry earlier.
1: I've only got one beer.
0: We could be in trouble. Yeah, and I might have to go to the garage and get another one if, if we're not careful.
1: But previews. What have we got in the way of previews?
2: Rustling foliage lit by shafts of sunlight. A cigarette to ease the tension. Check out the smoke. But what's the, well, lush dynamic foliage, natural lighting techniques and volumetric fog all made of? Team SAS is an elite Special Forces game. Based on the unique experience and knowledge of Special Forces expert, highly decorated SAS soldier and best-selling author, Andy McNabb.
0: it's a game that doesn't come out. We're not off to a good start here, Ash.
1: No, in fact, I mean, we've got two games being previewed here, both of which are by a studio that, by the end of 2002... Doesn't technically exist anymore because it rage. It is Rage Software, isn't it? It is Rage, indeed. Yeah, the House of Scouse, as Violet Berlin calls it. And
0: it's weird that she doesn't mention this is also by Rage.
1: But they are they are gone and done and dusted. I mean, the first game that we get, which is uh, Team SAS for Xbox, it actually does look like pretty good for a squad-based shooter. And of all the titles they were working on when they went bust and their assets were frozen and then bought up. Um, this is one that didn't come back, but it's an Andy McNab kind of deal. Much like Tom Clancy had his stuff, Andy McNab by Mandy McNab by Mandy McDowell had his stuff. Yeah, it it looks like a perfectly good squad-based cover shooter.
0: You can see Rage's thought process here. You know, I was, I was saying this episode airs. We think roughly one year after the episode of thumb bandits we did last week and that had on there the tom clancy ghost recon series so if you're rage you're like well let's have our own tom clancy we'll get andy mcnab in and we'll do andy mcnab's team sas and it's the same with the other game that we will get previewed in a second rolling which is essentially what if tony hawk butt on inline skates
1: i actually went back and i looked At the entire catalogue of Rage games because they started in 1992. They were there through the 16 bit era. I mean, they had some early games that came out for the Amiga. And I'm looking down the list and I'm like, Striker, I remember playing it, but no. Ultimate Soccer, again, no. Did a lot of football games because I think they then get a deal with
0: David Beckham because they got like a David Beckham licensed game. I mean, they did do the Sega Saturn Doom port. They did. And I, I think they also did the FIFA, the, When I was because I was looking at this earlier as well. They did the SNES FIFA port as well.
1: They did. And um, I remember playing that. And so I suppose there we go. I did play at least one of their games. They did the real-time strategy Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds for the PC. That one I remember wanting, but never playing. But then I'm just going down and I'm like, well, there's the David Beckham game. That was 2001, as you mentioned. Eurofighter Typhoon, they didn't do shovelware, but they also didn't do a lot that was like... They they didn't kind of reach the lofty heights of AAA for the most part.
0: You know, the two titles we're looking at here, Team SAS, bring in Andy McNabb, Rolling, which is the game we're going to get to in a minute, they bring in two of the sort of top inline skaters and attach them to it. Their names were in the, the lead title at one point. And David Beckham's football, it's almost like... What Sega were doing in the early 90s before Tom Kalinske came in and kind of rebranded Sega of America, which was just, let's get celebrities and put the celebrities on the box and that should sell the game. We can't make FIFA, but we can do David Beckham football. We can't do Ghost Recon, but we can do Andy McNabb's Team SAS. We can't do Tony Hawk skateboarding, but we can do this lad's inline skating. So I think the so the idea is... Is certainly there. It's just it never really came to fruition for them.
1: I don't think they deliberately kind of like followed the same pattern, but they do have the kind of the slight air of a mockbuster about them.
0: Yeah, it's almost asylum esque.
1: I, I was trying to avoid using asylum, but uh, especially because for some reason their head of their studio follows me on Twitter. I don't know why. Yeah, I think I said here. something nice about zombies. And really, I think the nice thing I said was that was better than I expected. I didn't have that high expectations to begin with. I mean, even of the games that they were working on at the end, Rolling was the only one that came out because we also see, obviously, the uh, Andy McDowell game here. But they were also working on a racing game, which was like Lamborghini licensed. And that got canned as well, although the people behind it went on to create the Juiced series which again is another kind of like middle of the road series, sixes and sevens out of tens, not really kind of premium games. But fascinating to see these games here in in their varying states and rolling feels a little bit late to the party.
2: A very long way away from the jungle, rolling is another game currently being developed by Scouse House Rage. But why did they think the world needed another tricksy skating game? Here's the answer. They've secured the exclusive rights to produce games featuring multiple world champion inline skaters, Cesar Mora and Fabiola da Silva. Featuring 16 other stars, including leading street skater, Jean Julio, it looks like they're trying to create the blading equivalent of Tony Hawk.
0: A little bit, yeah. I mean, crikey, when you watch this footage... Uh, we said this last week on We've when talking about Transworld Surfing, and I said that there were a lot of games companies at this time that were just, what if Tony Hawk butt on blank? And, you know, that was a bit of a disparaging remark, I suppose, you know, almost like I, I was kind of accusing some developers of being lazy, but friggin' hell, you look at this and this is Tony Hawk butt on inline skates because everything about this looks like Tony Hawk. This is a proper Tony Hawk clone from the way that the characters move, the way that the levels look, the way that the text is displayed on screen. This is a Tony Hawk game. It's amazing how much this looks like Tony Hawk. Because this is a game that was... You mentioned earlier, like announced in May of 01, they've been sort of like working on this for a while, but the company then goes under by January of 03 and is picked up by SCI, who then released the game with this brand new title of Rolling, because it went through a couple of different names, originally called Caesar and Fiboloa's Inline Skate, which is sort of made reference to in this, and then later changed to Rolling Bracket Skate with an eight. And then just once SCI picked it up, just, we're going to call this Rolling and release it.
1: I mean, I love the quote from Darren Barnett of SCI saying that they were extremely impressed by the game and thought it would be an ideal title to add to their portfolio. And then I look at the reviews that Rolling got and I'm thinking, you are easily impressed.
0: Yeah, because this gets you know some proper mid-range scores, this.
1: But I suppose if it was almost finished and they picked it up for a song... You may as well
0: put it out. It's basically done... And you, you're you right, Like it is late to the party, particularly because this game does not come out for another year from the point that we're reviewing this episode. It's really late to the party by that point. But you may as well, if
1: it's basically done. Sadly, we never saw the GameCube or the Game Boy versions of this. They were canned because at least someone acknowledged the fact that this kind of game had had its day. Yeah,
0: the the style of the time is no longer here. I found this from uh, an IGN article that would written about this in January of 02. um So, you know, like uh, 11 months or so before this episode airs, uh, saying the game features multiple world champions, Caesar Mora and Fiboloa de Silva, who must be saddened by the removal of their names from the title. Plus another leading skater, John Giulio, and an ensemble cast of professional and street inline skaters from around the world, hoping to get their faces and bodies in a video game and their names known by people other than their mums.
1: I didn't recognise any of those names. And in fairness, there aren't many people other than Tony Hawks I would recognise from skateboarding. But you know what name I did recognise? Tony Hawks. <laughs> I recognised the name on the box and that's what you want. And that's probably why their names weren't anymore. I've said this on the podcast before, but I, it's one of my favourite stories ever. When I was working at
0: GameStation and a fella came in and said, hey, have you got that Tom Hank skateboarding? And it led us to fantasy book, our own version of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, but it's just Tom Hanks characters. So Forrest Gump is a character.
1: So big and the skateboard deck looks like a piano. Ex- exactly. Yeah, you're
0: thinking I'm our way, lover there.
1: It was. It's only taken four years, but we've made it.
2: Apparently, what the world needs more of are orcs, ogres, elves and paladins. I mean, why else would software companies continually churn out more role-playing games for the PC? I sound like I'm down on the genre, I'm not actually. And one that's recently caught my eye is Divine Divinity. Divine Divinity's epic introduction. According to Sven Vinker of the Belgium developers Larian Studios, the game's size is epic too.
0: It takes a professional tester about 200 hours just to play through it, knowing everything he has to do. So that gives you an idea of how much there is in there. You're going to start out and you're going to say, okay, that's cool. I can kill some skeletons. Oh, hey, I do this and this guy reacts to it. I touched that book that guy calls for the guards. I did that, they throw me in jail. And suddenly you start seeing, whoa, this world reacts to what I do. One of my favorite things about Violet Berlin's, like dialogue and stuff and the way that she writes things. I I, I said earlier, like I enjoy her sort of infectious personality and sort of how much she just enjoys talking about games because she clearly does love video games. Unlike Dominic Diamond, She will always just say, no, by the way, I'm joking. But I I don't want people to get angry at me online. Because she's just like, there's too many RPG games on PCs, aren't there? Surely it's about time we had another one. I am joking, of course. I do quite
1: like these games. Divine Divinity does sound a bit like a porn name. (laughs) Or maybe a soul group. And I was like, man, whatever happened of this game? And then I looked up the series and I'm like oh, wait, this became Divinity and Divinity Original. Oh, this game actually went places, or at least the series did. And would you Adam and Eve it? This game's actually really, really well regarded.
0: Yeah, this has got some good reviews. Like, I'd not heard of this. And when I saw it being shown on screen, I was like, oh, man, I'd have properly been into this. I'd have probably had a good time with, with this game. It's a bit of a hack and slash. It's rpg but when you have the interview with Sven Vinke, he's a d and player. They don't say it, but the way he talks about RPGs, I was like, oh, you, you do campaigns. Because what you're explaining to the audience is you want to take a Dungeons Dragons campaign and put it into a game. With that idea of, if I do this... That might happen. But if I do this, something different might happen because that is what a good dungeon master would do when
1: putting together a campaign for people. The interview with this guy, and by the way, having watched a couple of different episodes of Gamepad from Series 3, this trade show they're at, footage from that gets used a lot. But this interview with this guy, it's kind of endearing because he is clearly a big old nerd as is the 20 other people that made this game with him and that's quite lovely. But then he gets to talking about the inspiration behind some of the game's features. And, Luke, just drop the clip in. One of the things which
0: wasn't planned, which came into the game, was uh, shifting, jumping into a dead guy's body and walking around with it. What happened was my uh, dog ran off after a rabbit and he came back with it and the rabbit was, like, in his mouth and he dropped it, very proud of it, and my girlfriend was, like, screaming, ah, it's still moving! It's still moving! But that's how most of the stuff got in. You see something somewhere... And you just say, that's cool, let's nick it, let's put it in the game. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll level with you here. I misunderstood him at first. I did not hear him say dog. I thought he said doc, as in doctor. Doctor. And so I was mad confused by this story until I rewound. I was like, oh, dog. Right. That that does make more sense.
1: What, you think Christopher Lloyd went rabbit just like, an,
0: and just went rabbit? Indeed. Like, just came in with this rabbit hanging in his mouth. I was like, was this some therapy session that he didn't explain properly? What did I miss?
1: But it's just, it is just the way that he goes, yeah, my dog killed a rabbit. Well, I've killed a rabbit. My girlfriend went ballistic. And the thing is, is he explains that as the reasoning behind a game mechanic. And I'm like, I still don't understand how it relates to the game mechanic.
0: He saw the rabbit
1: twitching and he was like, necro shifting. That's what we'll put in the game. You know what, dude? You do you. We do see some footage of this game and this game does look proper lovely. A lovely isometric game and like really nice detailed graphics, detailed backgrounds uh, you can get turned into a frog. They're very keen to let you know that you can get turned into a frog and that you can turn other people into frogs. There's a lot of frogs involved. And then you get to see all these different character classes, and I'm guessing it's from your character creation part. And there is, because this is a CD-ROM, quite a bit of voice work. And it is the voice work on the character type page that had me howling. I am strong as a man
0: should be mind and a grasp of magic are all a man really needs to fight evil
2: they call me a witch because i'm a woman and an enchantress because i'm pretty
1: it's like the barbarian strong like a man should be the dudes are buff and
0: smart the witch is pretty
1: yes the witch is just like they call they they call me a witch because i am a woman they call me an enchantress because i am pretty maths is hard (laughs) It's so tropey dialogue, but I also do kind of find it endearing yes, in a way.
0: endearing is a word I would use. Well, on my train ride home today, I, I found it's a bit of a dormant uh, Twitter account now, which is a bit of a shame, that's called uh, DOS Aesthetics. And it is just screenshots from DOS games. And a lot of them were like those you know RPG from early DOS games. And this feels like a DOS game. I know it's now here in 2003 and stuff, and now we're like proper PC gaming, but if you'd have said, oh yeah, this is from 1993 and it would have been available on DOS, I'd have probably believed you. It would have been a little bit less spangly, but yeah, you know, a bit yeah, more but... janky,
1: bit janky around the edges, but, but I'd have believed you. But hey, I'm glad it existed, because boy howdy, as I said, so many different games that came out of this, it. really, really impressive. I think in this interview he says something like, "Oh, even like people that made this game, it will take them like a hundred or two hundred hours to complete it." The internet disagrees with you, mate. I don't <laughs> want to say that the people that made this game don't know how to play it, but most people are like thirty hours for the main campaign, seventy if you do everything.
0: But yeah, I, I think this uh, a lot like Doom in a way. That sort of you know bedroom programmer uh, to a certain extent. They just love playing DD. so they just took their favorite things about DD and put them on uh, onto a game and you know this, this end point here where it's just like look this is made by people who want to play this sort of game we this is a group of 20 people and we all love rpgs so we just want to play this and i was like yeah you're 20 people who've all played various different campaigns
1: i would argue a good amount of those 20 people met playing rpg games. yes absolutely
2: one game that kids always play in the playground is which superhero would win in a fight well, here's a game that will settle all those playground arguments. It's Marvel vs. Capcom 2. The really big hitters on the fight game scene contain the lovely rounded 3D figures and arenas of Virtua Fighter and Tekken. But there's still room for the over the top cartoon antics of some of the best loved 2D beat em ups. They're fast, they're fun, and they're really, really funny. I wanna take a ball
0: This is legit one of my favourite games of all time. I loved X-Men vs. Street Fighter. And I played that so much. Me and my cousin played that so many, like, so and so often. And then I loved Marvel vs. Capcom. I mean, this, this was it was just two of my favourite things coming together. Particularly when it was X-Men vs. Street Fighter, because I was such a fan of the 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 cartoon series. And from the cartoon series and Spider-Man 94 and and ass and stuff, I started reading comics. Like, in the 90s, I, I really got into my comic books and stuff. So... I've got my favorite comic books here. And Street Fighter is my favorite video game franchise. It's my favorite fighter. So all of a sudden, it's it's peanut butter and jam and they're, they're fighting each other. And then it expands out to Marvel vs. Capcom and all of a sudden, like cool other characters like Mega Man are being involved in this. I'm like, this is awesome. And then Marvel vs. Capcom 2 comes out. And won't you take me for a ride? The massive, sprawling character selection screen. And it's just all of these characters that I adore fighting against each other. I played the heckins out of Marvel vs. Capcom 2.
1: I love Marvel. I love Capcom. I want to love all of these games and I just, I don't. And I feel shitty about it. Maybe it's the tag mechanic, maybe it's the changes made to the control system and the timing windows, but I just don't get the same sense of satisfaction i do from sitting me down in front of a two or an alpha or even just a marvel superheroes you know or x-men children of the atom yeah i just don't i don't get that same satisfaction and i'm i'm sad about that i i think a lot of mine
0: is is basic level i get to be spider-man and tag him with ryu this is the best game ever predominantly a lot of what i love about this this series because actually now like i never really noticed it at the time but looking at it with adult eyes now some of the sprite work in it is janky as all get out because they've just taken sprites from other games but the sprites are different sizes to the other sprites that are with from other different games so they've just like command t stretch that out while holding down shift and we'll just make this one slightly bigger or this one slightly smaller so it doesn't look crisp it, 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 some of it is a, a little bit wonky in places but i just from a just a broad aspect of marvel characters fighting capcom characters i'm i'm all in on this one i cannot tell you the disappointment i had with marvel vs. capcom 3 because i waited a long time for that game a long long time for that game by the time it had come out, I was like, awesome. It's now got Phoenix Wright in it. It's now got Nemesis in it. I'm going to love this game. And I didn't like Marvel vs. Capcom 3 at all. I really didn't like how they simplified its control scheme. And it just wasn't as fun to play. Whereas this one, was, I thought, was just button mashing gold.
1: Maybe I'll go back and give it a look. Although, what I will probably do is not look at this version because this version is coming out for the ps2 but if we skip back to like i don't know 2000 2001 you've got the dreamcast version that came out because this is an old game at this point this This came out in arcades in 2000 yeah this
0: is old when we were trying to work out when this episode was released mother's capcom 2 was actually not the easiest thing for us to look at to try and find a date for it it's actually it was other games instead because i looked i was like when did mother's capcom 2 come out this doesn't help me at all close that tab i'll open up a different one
1: but i and i will mention this purely because it was just this weekend past you talk about things that recapture the magic and you know that just you fall in love with this past weekend was the street fighter 6 beta open beta weekend and i got on that and you know of the six characters that are available the only one i'm even worth half a damn with is ken so i was a cheap cheap scrubby ken player I fell in love with that game in a way I haven't with a fighting game since Street Fighter 4. Wow. I went online because it was all online play and I lost a lot of matches, but I did win some. And when I lost, I didn't throw a hissy fit. It's just a case of, yeah, they were the better player and I was making really stupid mistakes. I was making the same mistakes I've made with Street Fighter since Street Fighter 2 because I'm way out of practice that to me was just, it kind of triggered a, a memory and I was just smiling. And I would like, when I hit an ultra to finish a round, it's like hitting your signature moves, you know? And it's just like, yes, got it. And then playing that and also at the same time making notes on this, it did make me a bit sad because again, I'm looking at Marvel versus Capcom 2 and I'm just like, oh man, I wish I had something like that to look forward to as well. Like g- give, me, give me a superhero field game where I've just got the traditional control scheme. Where I know exactly what I'm doing. Not like what they did with Marvel vs. Capcom 3. And to be honest, not like what they've done with Street Fighter 6. Street Fighter 6 has a modern control method. They don't force you to use it. Mm. But that modern control method, it looks like Smash to me. And I'm not a fan. I didn't even try it. I didn't have time. I just went with my six buttons and my D-pad. Thank you.
0: I, I didn't actually play uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 4 either and I think one of the sort of disgruntled things about Marvel Capcom 4 was that you know we're in a different era of Marvel now we're there. We owned this but we don't own these bits so we're trying to push the MCU so you're not going to get any Wolverines, you're not going to get any Fantastic Fours because at that point it was before Disney acquired Fox, so they were just like, it's just all MCU characters, and it's like almost MCU designs of them. But I'd love it, like a, a really decent, less you know, company political, just good brawler with uh, with characters from Marvel, with characters from Capcom. I would have a great time with it, just to kind of put over Violet's kind of you know, comment, you know, commentary on this game again, like, she really does seemed to be sort of baffled by the idea of of this game she calls it utter lunacy at one point because there's so much things happening on screen there's so much bright flashing colors and this and the other but i quite liked her little introduction line which is just that the beat-em-up sphere is dominated by 3d fighters but there's still room for 2d fighters which is you wouldn't have heard on games master in like series 5 and 6 where they were just like 2D fighters, that's passe. It was really, it was only, you know, and we don't say this a lot, it was only Dave Perry that was there was flying the flag for 2D fighters.
2: As the combat tends towards the offense rather than defense, each character can take it as well as they dish it out, which leads to lengthy and increasingly ridiculous battles, especially against a human opponent. And playing against anyone else at all is so anarchic that Marvel vs. Capcom 2 truly kicks comic butt.
0: We had that interview with her earlier where she was talking about how like Bravo was for a more adult audience, so you know she kind of rewrote the stuff that she used to be writing for Bad Influence to make sure it was written more for a, for an adult audience here with GamePad. But this like her outro line, which is like, it truly kicks comic butt. I was like, but "That sounds like it's from bad influence."
1: You know, although I'm not sure they could have got away with saying the word "butt" on CITV. Bum, botty.
2: <laughs> Dropping bouncing bombs in the first computer game to faithfully recreate the ingenuity of the 617 Squadron. On the way, better known as the Dambusters.
0: So, correct me if I'm wrong. This is, we get a snapshot of the Dambusters for the PC. I, I'm, when I was looking this up, this is just this is the expansion pack for Flight Simulator 2002, right?
1: A flight Simulator or Combat Flight Simulator 2, yeah. uh, to be specific. Uh, this is an expansion. It's an officially licensed one. It's by a company called Just Flight, who are still going and still shilling expansions. Uh, they've actually been going since the mid-90s. So basically, kind of as long as Flight Sim has been around, these guys have certainly been around and producing a lot of stuff for it. They've been making add-ons. Um, nowadays, they mainly produce models. So if you go to their website now and you search for Dam Busters, you won't find this expansion, but you will find a very highly detailed and modelled inside and out downloadable pack that will let you fly that plane. You know, so like you can go to the radio position, you can go to the bomber position and you can see all this stuff. Yeah, this is just an officially licensed product, uh, fully compatible. With a voiceover of a guy that really doesn't sound like he wants to be there. Just bring in a guy. Say the line. Say the line, Bart.
0: E by gum. That's their plan, so E by gum.
1: But of course, while they are primarily involved even today in flight simulators, they have a sister company called Just Trains. Are they also trying to make Tony Hawk uh, knockoff games? Yeah, Tony Hawk... Drives an intercity. Yeah, yeah. What if Tony Hawk but trains? I mean, I've never seen the Flying Scotsman on a half pipe, <laughs> but I wouldn't be against the concept.
2: Still to come on GamePad, fast bikes, gorgeous graphics, and the Terminator. But before that, time to improve your rankings as Command and Conquer Generals is game
0: on. So, this is a fun little thing. We haven't actually encountered this through our run of this podcast before, which is we, we get thrown to an ad break but then are shown a game with a little tease and a little hook so when you come back you see that game again and the answer to that hook and tease and then we move on to the next thing would you say this is a preview of command and conquer generals or is this just a a, you know the
1: 30 second clip that we've got i think this is the 30 second clip that we've got because the footage is definitely looped it's like the countdown teaser it is. It is essentially like we're going to an ad break, but we don't want you to tune out. So here's something for you to think on during the ad break. And when we get back, we'll tell you if you've been a clever boy.
0: <laughs> I'll be honest, I was not a clever boy. I did not know the answer to this.
1: Ah, well, I mean, it was lovely because while this was the game that threw us off, it was great to see Command & Conquer Generals. I love Command & Conquer in general, but I also do love command and conquer generals because it was the first proper 3d game it was also a bit controversial because it may have featured a couple of real countries going to war as well as a fictional terrorist group and at least one of those countries did not like how they were portrayed in the game yeah i'll give you a clue it was usa and china and it wasn't usa that were upset in how they were portrayed so this game got banned in china
0: yeah, this game also got banned in Germany uh, as I'm well. I'm not surprised. Because uh, they they placed this on the list of media harmful to young people. Ah, because it glorifies war and all that. Yeah, so instead they just re-released it, basically you know, took it off shelves, re-released it as Command & Conquer General, um, and then was like, no, 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 they're not humans. They're cyborg. They basically did what they did with Carmageddon, which is, oh, they're not people, they're zombies. Look, the blood is green now. Or contra and pro protector, exactly. Yeah, TMNT. There's not humans in those foot soldier costumes; they're just robots. But I, I actually didn't play CNC generals. Um, I think we've talked about this in the podcast before when we've had CNC in our timeline. I kind of stop at at red alert. There's a touch of Tiberian Sun in there, but that's really my end points uh, for the Command and Conquer series.
1: I think Generals was the last one I really played, although, much like you, I'm sure you remember the marketing of some of the later games, particularly when it started involving professional wrestlers and, of course, Tim Curry. How can (laughs) can you forget that? Amazingly, there was meant to be a sequel to this game, like an actual direct Command & Conquer Generals 2. And what happened is they got greedy, Luke... They took the game that was being developed as Generals 2, which was going to be a direct continuation of the timeline from Generals, and they went, but what if we made it a freemium game? Oh, no. What if we made it a live-service free-to-play game? no. What if we removed a single-player campaign and made it online only? Because, Luke, it's free-to-play.
0: Yeah, and it's what consumers want, Ash. Despite the fact that single-player campaigns end up being the biggest selling games of the years, consumers are telling us what they want is less single-player games and more live-service games that get shut down after a year and also take a year to get good.
1: I mean, this was quite a way in the future from where we are now. So we're end of 2002, and Generals Two was in developers Generals Two until middle of twenty twelve, and then they dropped the Generals Two, even though they kept all the trappings and the story and the basis, and it was just actually going to be known as Command and Conquer. They were just going to they were going, they weren't even going to reboot it really. They were just going to go. People remember Command and Conquer. We'll just call it Command and Conquer. The free to play that went down like a Led Zeppelin. Then the lack of a single player campaign that also went down quite badly. Then they kind of doubled back on that at one point and went, oh, no, there will be, there will be a single-player campaign, possibly, maybe. And then it went quiet. And then in 2013, there was going to be a press conference, a trailer and a showcase. And then by October of 2013, the game had been cancelled. And a number of different reasons were given for the cancellation. Some people blamed uh management conflicts some people blamed uh difficulty with the multiplayer aspect which i'm going to call bullshit on because multiplayer is the one thing command and conquer has kind of got right from day fucking dot the most likely one is negative fan feedback basically we just want to buy a game if you want to create a new free to play game that's fine but please also just give us our goddamn game and yeah so that that's it and Command and & Conquer died officially on October 29th, 2013. So 11 years almost after we get this footage of the first Generals, the second Generals game officially ended its development cycle. And may it rest in pieces. At least we got the HD remasters of the first couple of Command and & Conquers and there was not a microtransaction to be seen.
2: Generals is the latest game in the 17 million selling Command & Conquer franchise. Well, I knew war was popular, but 17 million? Anyway, in the British Army, General isn't the highest ranking officer. What rank is immediately above General? We'll be back with the answer after the break.
1: The shark with rows of razor-sharp teeth is a creature to be both feared and respected. It would be foolishly
0: suicidal to film The Great White without the shark cage.
1: Especially when you're surrounded by a school of them and you're holding the bait. Damn
2: it, damn it! Why did you have to do that to me?
1: Is the shark a vicious man-eater or a victim of the media? They're not waiting at the
2: end of the pier for you to dive in so they can consume you.
1: Learn the facts. The shark file starts July the 1st only on Bravo.
2: (laughs) Do you fancy some pasta, mate?
1: Oh, you know I can't eat wheat. Got a nice little surprise
0: for you, boy.
2: Sainsbury's is the first supermarket to introduce its own free from range food that's free from dairy, wheat, or gluten. Oh,
0: sorry, mate, that's yours. No, that's mine.
1: You know what, man? <laughs> it's not funny! Now, let me get this straight. You're saying that I can have a car on credit, even if I've been refused elsewhere? Yes, you could. And we could use our old car as full
2: deposit. Yes, you could, whatever its condition. And I could have repayments to suit my
0: budget.
1: Yes, you could. And we can have a car that's
2: been inspected to AA standards. Yes,
0: you could. And
1: I could see a huge choice of cars and drive away the same day.
2: Yes, of course you could. Yes. Just call YesCar Credit now on 0800 085 6600 or apply online at yescarcredit.net because if you've been refused credit for a car, we're waiting to say yes.
0: Hello. When you want a personal loan, you can just go to your bank. But why not see if it's easier, faster and cheaper to call Lombard Direct on 0800 to 15, 000. Your rate is based on your circumstances and loan amount. Our typical rate is just 8.4% APR
1: for an unsecured loan of up to 25,000 pounds call now on 0800 215000 or apply online at lombarddirect.com
0: A lot can happen in the next 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend
2: blue from American Express call 0800 700 121 for an advanced kind of credit card with online account access a smart chip refund protection online fraud guarantee but still with 1% money back on all your purchases so whenever you spend you can play 800 700 121 to apply for our next generation of credit cards.
0: Fairy's got a new thicker formula that gives you long lasting creamy suds. New
2: thicker Fairy.
0: It'll blow you
2: away. Not looking good, is it?
1: I don't know. We got more going out than we got coming in. Stop. Don't panic. One simple call to independent finance could sort out all your financial problems and cut your monthly bills in half. Yes, half. They'll take all your debts, credit cards, loans, overdrafts, everything and give you back one of their debt buster loans for up to £50,000 that could cut your monthly bills in half. It's quick, easy and you can do it all over the phone. They don't want your life history, they don't mind what you do for a living, whether you're employed, self-employed or retired. They don't even mind if you have a poor credit rating. All they ask is that you are a homeowner and can afford the repayments. It really is as simple as that. So to see how you can cut your monthly bills in half, ring Independent Finance for a debt-buster loan on 0800 587 9587. They're there now, waiting to take your call and all your problems away from you.
0: Robert De Niro, Jackie Chan, Piers Brosnan, Robert Redford, and John Travolta would look like big girls' blouses (laughs) if it weren't for these guys. Get behind the scenes of the Hollywood blockbusters and meet the real heroes of the action movies at the World Stunt Awards. They don't do speeches, they do do action. The World Stunt Awards. Tuesday, the 2nd of July at 9 on Bravo.
2: Welcome back to Gamepad, reporting to you from the battlefield of Command and Conquer Generals. Before the break, we ordered you to tell us the rank immediately above General in the British Army. Well, Sir to a General is the Field Marshal, who probably has a posher accent too. But since he's got his finger on the button of mass destruction,
0: GLA forces eliminated. All units, return to base.
2: We say, very good, sir. Carry on, sir.
0: So we come back from the ad break with you know Violet revealing that the answer was Field Marshal, and I maybe it's just Violet's delivery. This also felt quite bad, influency.
1: There was a little bit of teacher student kind of thing going on a little bit like you know were you a clever boy there you go i mean the way that she delivered it almost was like i don't know why we're doing this either it fills
0: the time luke it <laughs> yeah, fills the time we've got 23 minutes to fill here lads
2: and now a chart of one of britain's favorite pastimes no not spreadsheets the ggs it's our top three horse racing sims you might not know that there were any horse racing sims but here's one for starters It might look as dull as, well, the Championship Manager series of games springs to mind, but hang on, because if you're into racing, you'll find this interesting, and if you're not, it's just plain funny. In Stable Masters, you're allotted a stable of medium-ability horses, and it's up to you to feed them, train them, select their jockeys, enter them for competitions, and eventually lead them to victory. Wait for it. Wait for it. Look, at last, something's happening. Well, it's something. On race day, you can also take part in the betting, of course. Apparently, it's important to treat each horse as an individual, feeding them appropriately and taking note of their preferred running style. Again, like Championship Manager then. Calm down, I'm only joking.
0: So, it's now time for the the next segment of this show, which is the Essential Charts. And what they're going to do is count down the top three of a specific genre of gaming. So, Kind of like what we had with Thumb Bandits, where they had the kangaroo court and we looked at three different shooters or with bits where we did three different fighters that are coming out at the same time. Here we have got the three essential horse racing sims.
1: And immediately I'm disappointed, Luke, because it's the essential charts and there isn't a Pete Tong to be seen anywhere in this
0: it is not no and i mentioned this earlier as well uh, you know this first entry we have here about stable masters where violet is like burying champ manager because she's like this looks as boring as championship manager and then she also like makes more fun of championship manager but almost in a effort to not anger the forums that are probably really annoyed about this show apologize or you yes apologizing for making fun of championship manager
1: so we said we had to do a bit of deep digging on this this first game stable masters that she makes the champ manager jokes about this was released on 2001 on the pc but was a sequel a direct remake if you will of a 1991 game released for the amiga and the atari st by the same people and it is essentially the same game with new graphics 10 years on yeah new coat
0: of paint was put upon it and now it's got it's a shinier spreadsheet it's a a shinier horse a sexier horse i mean violet i'm going to disagree with something that violet says here which you know she talks about how like horse racing one of britain's favorite pastimes that isn't spreadsheets well i would disagree because i've seen the under consultation dream sheet and that is a lovely looking spreadsheet
1: we I like me and you,
0: we do like a good spreadsheet. Oh I love a spreadsheet. It's one of the things I will tend to do any day I go into work. Go into Google Drive, new down Google sheets. What
1: can I do a spreadsheet on today? What stat can I compile today? You could just do your to do list on a spreadsheet. You can even do a little formula so each task has a little drop down box, and when you choose, change it from like. Uh, pending to active, it goes from red to green. You could have so much fun with a spreadsheet, Luke. I'd say, I'd argue,
0: more fun than you can on Stable Masters.
1: I would be inclined to agree, because I do not care for horse racing. Yeah, me neither. I did enjoy Viola
0: Boleyn going like, but look, something happened. It's not much, but it's something.
2: At number two in the gamepad chart of horse racing sims, G1 Jockey. And here's something I thought I'd never say on television. Horses' bums! Well, there are a lot of them. Look! No, that's too long now. It's starting to feel a bit weird. Avert your gaze to the speed, stamina and potential meters on the top right. Basically, spurring your horse on increases its speed. But if you go too fast, you'll lose stamina and slow right down. You start out as a rookie jockey, to begin with your hard push to find anyone who'll let you ride their horse, but do well and put in the hours training and you'll gradually build up a reputation that'll take you all the way to the top. But don't expect to have a punt in your GG because in G1 Jockey there is no betting. Yes, it's a horse racing sim with no odds. How
1: odd. Well, we get on to the next game, G1 Jockey on the PS2. And boy, howdy, Luke, does something happen here? Bums! Pilot <laughs> Berlin going like, well, I didn't think I'd say this on TV. Horse bums. Be fair. You've been doing this for three series. You can't be that surprised by saying the word horse bums at this point, particularly because you're on Bravo. Uh, well,
0: quite, in fact, actually, when you think about it. So, it's more of that sort of, like, in- infectious, happy-go-lucky nature of Violet Berlin, who is just clearly happy that she's being paid to talk about video games, because she has this line at the end where she's like, it's a horse racing game with no betting.
1: How odd. I think it's because, I mean, this is much more of a kind of a mainstream horse racing game. I mean, this is a Koei game, and this is actually the second G1 jockey. But because it was the first one released outside of Japan, they dropped the number. So there is a one number differentiator on the G1 Jockey Series. It was released in Japan on November 2nd, 2000. It did eventually get released in the UK on March 8th, 2002. So a year and change later, quite impressive. And yeah, it, it, it looks, if you like horse racing, if you like horses, this will be fine. You'll probably quite enjoy this. Especially if you like horses' bums.
2: At number one in the essential chart of horse racing Sims, iRace. Not a game you can buy for your console or computer, but a website and a digital TV channel that lets you join in.
0: on the from Frank's on the inside, then comes Blue Ranger, holding position third, through by the four
2: Viewers can buy and name horses, then enter them into races which are run on TV every ten minutes. Hello, I'm Gigi, the iRace stable girl and one of our team of presenters. I'll be helping explain to viewers how the service works.
0: This nasty He's kicked on again from second place. Rocky Gorge good
2: a computer takes information on things like track condition and the horse's ability and form and uses it to generate a live race, which means there's no cheating. And you can win real money and lose it too, it says here in small
0: print. But our final entry here, I feel, is Why this segment exists, which was here to either promote or co-promote or you know, sponsorship money or whatever, you know, like endorsement deals or whatever it is. This is another TV channel that is available through sort of you know Sky and 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 this and the other called iRace. And you know, virus sort of like this is not a video game for consoles, this is a digital channel. You go in there you can buy a horse you get to name that horse and then races run every 10 minutes you then bet on those races and you can win real world money as well as lose that real world money
1: which i do like that violet
0: says it says here in the very small print (laughs) because that this is she is reading from a press release that has been sent to them
1: yeah i mean this is basically gambling It's gambling disguised as a game. With a sexy stable girl. A sexy stable girl called Gigi, which is probably the best joke in the entire segment of just like, oh, horses, Gigi's get it, great, top stuff, well done. Um, I didn't actually find much online about iRace, but I immediately knew what it was. These sorts of things still exist today. Yeah. At least with G1 Jockey and at least with Stable Master, you're just spending the initial outlay. And after that, you're fine but this is the sort of thing that can ruin lives like a lot of gambling can
0: uh, i would say because I'm, I'm i'm not a, a big fan of the, the world of gambling but you know in, in this game's defense at least it's upfront about being a gambling game unlike a lot of triple a games now which hide the fact that they're gambling mechanics
2: there have been some really playable bike games over the years motocross maniacs manx tt excite bike but the latest batch seems to be trickier than juggling eels while standing on ball bearings Here to make biking look easy is John Attaway from Official Xbox Magazine.
0: Hi, I'm John Attaway and I'm going to be showing you a crash course on MotoGP Ultimate Racing Technology. Possibly the greatest thing about it is that every control of the bike is uh, used with an analogue control on the uh, Xbox pad. So, your front and rear brakes, you've got gradual control of on the triggers. And what that means is that you've just got an amazing amount of control over each aspect of the bike's handling which is where the fun comes from. So our next segment here, I think you can say this is a defined segment of the show. Like, I think you can probably say that about the chart as well, because, you know, previous, the first half was just, here are some games. Because even the review of Marvel vs. Capcom 2 didn't really feel like a review. There's no score at the end of it. It's just Violet commenting on some footage. But she did that with rolling and Team SAS. But this is a defined section of the show. We are looking at a game and we are interviewing people who work within the magazine industry to give their, as Eurogamer put it, sage like advice on how to be better at that game. So this is in a way, their version of the consultation zone. only it's filmed like shit.
1: This, oh, this is definitely filmed in a break room at a magazine's offices. Yes. It, I mean, I, I mean that in the most
0: loving way possible. This, this is filmed on a shoestring budget. But it did make me very nostalgic for those big TVs.
1: Oh, yeah. It is a nice big old CRT TV in there.
0: So what we have here is is Mike Attaway from uh, Official Xbox Magazine taking us through MotoGP Ultimate Racing Technology.
1: This is kind of... It is a, a game tip, but it's not quite as... um immediate as the consultation zone because he doesn't just go oh here's how you do this here's how you do a power slide he he does kind of also explain a little bit of how the actual game mechanic works as well he talks about analog triggers and stuff like that which i guess uh, is it still that new? I, I think the only thing that could be different on this,
0: but I'd, I don't play, and I, you know, I was not playing racing games on the Xbox, so I don't know if I can pass comments on this. There certainly wasn't in burnouts or anything, but it's—is it like, you know, the left trigger is your front brake and your back, your right trigger is the back brake? Is that sort of like the the difference, and that's how you control the bike, and that's what makes it feel a bit different?
1: I mean, yeah, that that would definitely play a thing. I mean, if you think about what happens when you're on a like a pedal bike. And you jam too hard on the front brake, mm. you're going headfirst into the pavement. The same applies to, to motorbikes. So, yeah, I can see that being quite a differentiator when it comes to the controls. And he, he kind of just shows you how to do some more difficult control things in the game. Advice for corners, following lines, slowing down, yada, yada, yada. Uh, power slide, which is not something I ever think of doing with a motorbike. I think a power slide is being something very much for the four wheeled type of transport but apparently it can be done in this game and yeah that that that's it really my cat away this away that away turns up tells the tips goes away
0: yeah you we they went down to the official xbox magazine office for half a day took mike out and was just like take us through some things you know about some games
1: i mean the game itself is not the newest it's not the oldest We see the Xbox version here. There were also versions for Windows, the Game Boy Advance and Luke, the Nokia N-Gage. Yes, the N-Gage. Game was dog eggs. (laughs) You surprise me.
2: Terminator Dawn of Fate is set in the future, but just before all the time travelling of the movies.
0: Looks like it's blocked, Reese.
2: Playing as Kyle Reese, or as a couple of other officers in John Connor's Resistance... You play a role in the battle against the killing machines with human faces and the well-out-of-order Skynet. In each part of the game, you'll set missions, like planting explosives and activating switches, but it doesn't always matter if you pull them off or not. Your performance in mowing down the legions of different Terminator models that come after you is far more vital. Trashing the Metal Men gains you points, which can then be used to upgrade weapons, armour and health.
0: Which then brings us to our second review. Oh, sorry, third, maybe, because it felt like the MotoGP one had a bit of a review element to it. But this is like the most defined review. We had Marvel vs. Capcom 2 earlier. And now we have got a game that I'm really surprised I did not play. Because I was a huge, particularly this time as well, massively into the Terminator franchise. Terminator 1 is one of my favorite movies of all time um and i i like terminator 2 quite a bit and so the idea of doing a video game that is a prequel to that so you're actually in you know the the future war that is kind of seen in the the director's cut of of t2 but is also seen you know kind of briefly in the the dream sequence or the nightmare sequence that Carl reese has in terminator 1 i'm amazed i did not play this game but i've never played it And granted, I think, you know, going by what Violet says about the game, which is just that it's not that great. Like, if you want it for lore, yeah, you get a little bit of that. But if you want a a game that's actually a challenging game, it's not really all that much cop.
1: Not a great game story-wise. It's a fairly mediocre game gameplay-wise. I mean, if you had played it at the time, it would have killed your passion for the Terminator franchise a whole six to seven months early. Because we're not far from Terminator 3, Luke. I was just thinking in my head then when I was talking about how much I was into the Terminator franchise at this point,
0: And in the back of my mind was going, when was T3? And it is the following year, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's the summer of 2003. That film's really bad. 180 million budget, 400 million at the box office. And you're right, it was really bad. But, and I say this with some level of regret, it's not as bad as the Terminator films got.
0: Isn't it amazing that every couple of years, it's just like, we're going to try and reboot the Terminator franchise. That series has had umpteen rebooted attempts to try and make a new Terminator trilogy. And it, are they worse than the last one? Well, Terminator Salvation was really, really bad, but Terminator Genesis was f***ing appalling.
1: I actually was perfectly okay with Dark Fate. It is the best of the three. I would say that actually if we're if we're ranking movies, Terminator, Terminator 2, Dark Fate. That's the easy top three. Because Terminator 2's got some humour in it, which is fine. It suits the type of film it is. T3 goes goofy. They've they've got Arnold wearing Elton John sunglasses. It misunderstood the appeal.
0: It's almost like they saw. Um, you know, Asta la Vista baby and you know, John Connor trying to humanize uh, the, the T-800 and be like, Oh, that's what audiences want. They want Arnold saying the funny things in the Terminator voice. And that's all you get then in T3. It's a
1: bad, bad movie. And then it, it did lose its way, but I thought, yeah, Dark Fate, I kind of just appreciated that they did go back to basics a bit there is still some humor in it there are still some jokes in it but it's it's more in line with terminator 2
0: yes yeah yeah yeah.
1: and i don't think james
0: cameron has ever really forgiven himself for doing that big shill that he did on terminator genesis where he kept in his interviews being like well if i directed a terminator sequel it would definitely be this one bull We're kind of like looking at this review here, um, you know Violet kind of criticizes the game for its the, the fixed camera angles as like, Resident Evil style way of moving around, but you can go into a first person perspective during action sequences but in order to do so you then have to stand still so it doesn't really feel like a good way to play the game and then they have a little bit of fun and Violet's very amused by this, how... Easily, they make one of the T-800s explode by just giving it a little tiny kick.
2: But we'd have liked fewer enemies that were harder to kill. Up next, for instance, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Terminator, right. destroyed by a kick. Watch. Ha. Call me a pedant, but I just don't think that's right.
1: It is. It sweep the leg. And clearly, that Terminator has an Achilles heel because it explodes.
0: It goes to smithereens. So she makes that argument of like, you know rather than have loads of baddies that are easy to kill she would have preferred a much smaller amount that are harder to kill and actually in a way that always feels like more in keeping with the terminator franchise because the thing i like about the first terminator movie and why i think t1 is is far superior to t2 is it is this ultimate killing machine it's literally modok it is the uh, a mechanized organism designed only for killing and it's just constantly hunting down Sarah Connor and Kyle is doing everything he possibly can to stop this thing from moving towards them. And it, and no matter what they do, it keeps coming up. You knock it down, it keeps getting back up. So I think Violet's point is kind of on the money. That would have been more in keeping with the Terminator franchise than just fighter hundreds T eight hundreds. It's
1: kind of like Predator. Predator works best when it's just one on one or two on one when you know it's not an entire army of predators. Alien is the one exception for the rule because you know, but it's a aliens is so, yeah, it's an actual war movie. i I like how you did mention Modoc because you're absolutely right. The only difference is Terminator has never been repeatedly mistaken for Patrick Moore. <laughs> yeah, I'm still annoyed about that because it's still popping up in the Games Master keyword column on TweetDeck, Luke. People are still making the same joke because the thing's gone to fucking Disney Plus now. This game just doesn't look great. I don't know that there's ever been a truly great Terminator game that isn't the arcade game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Because even, I mean,
1: look, I'll go to bat for The
0: Terminator on uh, Mega Drive. And that's because I'm you know, in the top 10 uh, quickest players that play in that game. I, I, and I like that it's a it's a it's a four it's a four level game. We actually talked about it way back when when we did the because um, I think it was reviewed in in you know our, mm. our original timeline back in series one. So that's the only one I'd go to, uh, and as well as the arcade game in arcade specifically, uh, as opposed to the home ports. So yeah, I can't think of any other good Terminator games feels like we're due one. You know, we Robocop
1: that... versus Terminator.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, it's funny as well. I think that more of a Robocop game because you're playing as Robocop. And I was literally about to say Robocop because there's that new Robocop game that's coming out for the PS5.
1: That does look very fun. I really hope they don't sure. sh** the bed on that. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm glad that we've got a PS5 in the office now because it means I can have a play of it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... I mean, maybe we're due a Terminator game. Maybe we're due a good Terminator game not that they'll make the terminator game i want it to be which is terminator 1 where you're a human versus the machine but you know maybe
1: one day we'll get it uh, one good thing i will say about this game is it did feature some original songs recorded for the game by fear factory yes it did cuz cuz
0: I, I was about to use my derogatory name for them then and i know i'm going to preface this now we were childish teenagers but we used to call them fat factory because they were proper fat fucks for- <laughs> So and they played Reading Festival 2002, one of the opening acts on the Sunday, and the entire crowd kept chanting at them, "Who ate all the pies?" Um, Because we were all immature dickheads. But anyway, Fear Factory, one of my, uh, I love them as a band. Obsolete is one of my favourite albums ever. They love Terminator, and in fact, like Obsolete is a bit of a concept album, and the story when you kind of read, you know, through the liner notes of the the story that they had written out for Obsolete. ED's very much influenced by Terminator and this character of the Edge Crusher. And on D-Manufacture, their first album, they've got a track on there called Hunter Killer, which is what the original name for the T-800s were before they upgraded them um, to the T-800s. And then the remix of Hunter Killer on Remanufacture is called T-800. I like the fact that Fear Factory got to be involved... In a Terminator license in some way. It's a shame it's not a good one. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm sure they had a good time.
1: Gamepad.
2: And so will I, next time on Gamepad, along with Conflict Desert Storm. If you find the other side a kicking sand in your face, there's help on tactics from official Xbox magazine. And we get hold of a fast car and send our driving game specialist, Gareth Jones, to Le Mans as Team Gamepad gets an even faster car to take the 24-hour challenge in the greatest race in motorsport gaming. Plus, how super is Superman? We'll let you know if Krypton's last son lives up to his name.
0: And so that's kind of it for the show. We get our throw to next time where we're going to look at Conflict Desert Storm. We'll have some tips from official Xbox magazine and gareth jones gaz top appears on the show as he does some fast driving stuff with le Man 24 also a superman game no luke not that one I, not you know what, that one do you know what's funny because we spent so much time in the 90s because we spent so much time with games master when i saw a superman game i was like oh sh- they're gonna talk about superman 64 and then i had to pause and so i was like no luke the xbox is out it's a, it's a different era of gaming now we've we've quite passed superman 64 at this point
1: yeah although this game would not exist without superman 64 because the reason I, i forget which publisher did this game but the reason they got the license for superman is because titus biffed it so bad with the last couple of games and then they had the ability to make this based on superman the animated series and because it was a uh, playstation slash xbox type game they got the voice cast most of the original voice cast are involved in this game few notable exceptions uh sadly in that while clancy brown is there as lex luther michael ironside is not there as dark sea.
2: that's next time on gamepad i'll leave you now with some eye candy from a game that's like a certain yeast spread you either love it or you loathe it either way you can't deny that this graphical sequence is certainly pretty it's from Mist Three Exile. I was Violet Berlin, and you were a Gamepad Viewer. But I expect you knew that already.
0: Bye. And the, the last thing we get in this is a little bit of footage from Mist Three. So nice to see that Mist is back in our timeline again.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I've played the third Mist game. I know actually, I think I even talked about it on the podcast. Is that I've you know over lockdown we replayed the first two Mist games me and my partner together. I can't remember if we got as far as, as Mist 3. I might go and have a look for it. I know we played the first two because they were on Game Pass. So mm. that was why it was like, oh, look, they're there. I can just bring them up on the Xbox and boom, off-ski we go. It's a very, very pretty game. I still think Mist is a very, very pretty, very attractive, very unique style of game. Even if by the time we get to Mist 3, people were going, do we really need more Mist? Has gaming not moved on? And I think... Whilst it may be out of fashion, I don't think that means you should stop making types of games. Yeah. Just because it's not a mainstream audience anymore, there are still people that are going to love and buy this game. And by the fact that this was followed by more missed games and more Mystery Masters, the audience was clearly still there for it, even if that audience wasn't people in the press.
0: So, Ash, that's Gamepad. Um, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, it's a very different pace from bits and thumb bandits it's a very different show for a very different audience you know this is our first show we've looked at past games master that's not designed for the home from the pub with a kebab in hand this is just for your adult video gamers who just want to see footage of of new games i do think it's a bit
1: dry but like i didn't hate the show To go back to my comparison to movies, games and videos, this is a perfectly good and relatively wholesome way of imparting news and information and like clips of upcoming games, games you may have missed, games you may be on the fence about. But this is a daily television show. This is not a weekly challenge show. This is not a weekly news and feature show. This is not z Wright jetting off around America. This is not Andy Crane apparently not remembering any of the series that he was involved in creating. This is not Nam Rood, like, sellotaping cheats to his forehead. This is kind of a news magazine show. This is basically back-to-back featurettes, and that's about it. And you know what? That is absolutely fine. If I was going to change anything about it, I would say... I really felt Violet needed an on-screen co-host. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair shout. Like, I think that it's—I think
0: Violet's—you know, she's great. I, I love Violet Berlin, and I think her passion for video games shines through on this. And I think that you can tell that she and and Gareth are very proud of this show and are very proud of the you know the product that they're putting out there. I don't think it as a, a viewer of video game shows. I don't think I would have made this appointment viewing for me, even though I did it for Thumb Banders. You know, Thumb Bandits, every Friday night I was there to, to watch that show. I don't think if I had access to it, I would have done the same thing with Gamepad outside of I just like seeing video game footage. And, you know, in 2003, that was few and far between. Yeah, we're still a few years away
1: from YouTube and stuff like that.
0: Exactly, yes. This would have been the only way I would have just been able to see video games on TV screens. So I think I probably would have liked it from that aspect. But yeah, and and I've said this a couple of times in the show now, but it really did make me realize how much I appreciate Games Master as a format. And the genius of Games Master is that it's more than just feature, 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 feature. It's that variety Variety is the spice of life, and I think that's something that, that Gamepad is slightly missing. It's something, you know, Thumb Bandits had in spades, which was just like, you know, they're out and about, they're in this location, they're now in this location, or even bits. It's, it's a magazine show, but it's a, it's a bit of a stilted magazine show because it, it Violet needs someone. I think Violet would bounce better off someone. If she did this with
1: Gareth, I think it would have been a very different show. That would have been great, but for whatever reason, it's not what they did. We've covered three shows so far in the post-Games master world. We've had Bits, we've had Thumb Bandits, and we've had this. This is the first one which hasn't made me wince in a, oh, that has aged poorly kind of way. Yeah, that's true. But also, I don't think there's anything from this that I'm going to be going, well, that was memorable.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think it's, I'm not going I haven't ended this being like, I'd recommend people go out and watch more episodes of Gamepads.
1: I mean, firstly, good luck. Uh, There's maybe four of them out there total, only two of them from series three, two that I saw from series four, and one and two, you might find a few clips, and that's about it.
0: But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com.
1: And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of gaming and pop culture, retro and new, you can do so over on our Discord or... You can join the underconsole Nation on Twitch when I do Twitch streams and I fail badly at Street Fighter and I produce weird shows on WWE 2K23 where Mr. Blobby is currently our heavyweight champion, the Queen is our women's champion and Dan Housen is holding the FTW belt because no one has told him what the F stands for.
0: And you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash pod to get access to our monthly community show, Under Console Nation. And next week's episode, one week early and at free at the £5 level. The £10, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? TBC. And a shout out to those £10 backers. Andy, Colin, Joe, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Alexis, Andrew Cummings, Andrew Greenwood, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Sticks, David Palmer, David White, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brandt, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mankagirl, Girl, I Am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe Mitchell, Kevin Kerr, Kylie Lawrence, Link, Luke, Mark, Matty, Boo, Misha, Nick, Phil, Stopford, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Richard Downer, Richard Major, Sean, Selena, Simon, Super Sexy, Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S, William Xanderthol, and Zach. We will see you in seven days' time for our next Games Master Aftermath episode, which will be gamesville we'll see you in seven days time take care everyone
1: good night